0: Hey friends, it's Kelsey Kemp, here to inspire and guide you as you answer the call. Tune in each week to hear me illuminate the biblical truth of what a calling actually is and how to find yours so you could create a career worthy of hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't just be hearing from me though. Some of the most incredible and purposeful people I know will be joining me to tell you their story of how God called them into careers that honor who they were made to be. So their work is now creating generations of ripple effects for the glory of God. Y'all ready? Okay, let's go. Hello, hello. I hope that you all had a wonderful July 4th holiday last week. I am so amped. For you to hear this episode, this interview with my friend Alex Park. I'm always amped, but y'all, sometimes I'm like, how did I get such cool friends? I don't understand. There is so much wisdom to be gleaned from what Alex had to say. You're going to hear his unique perspective on this whole pondering of if we're all God's little princes and princesses, why do so many people in this world have to suffer so terribly? From a young age, he thought, what does this have to say about God? What does this have to say about what I'm called to do? So you'll hear him reckoning with the character of God and ultimately see a picture that we don't talk about enough, that God is someone that suffers and cries with us. He is so compassionate and ever-present, but our free will isn't something to be ignored, and he didn't doom us to this life of suffering. It's something um, that, ooh, man, getting into it already, I'm going to need you to just continue listening to hear the full explanation on all of that, that we often uh, get quite mixed up um, with our picture of God's true character. But in Alex's story, you'll see that not all callings are rainbows and butterflies, man. He was called to relieve suffering in the places of the world that are so in so much pain under um the crippling effect of tyranny and so this led him to pursue a career in the military starting in the army and going through the absolutely brutal training (laughs) that is the training to become a green beret which is the special operations force of the army if you didn't know that already. And uh, you'll hear in this episode how that turned out and why he made a career pivot and that he's now back in his hometown of LA preparing for law school so he could continue in his calling in the international security sector just from a different angle. So in this episode, you'll hear Alex talking about the origins of where this calling really began where he began to discover it, how as a teenager, he realized he absolutely could not turn a blind eye to the world's atrocities. And you'll hear him reckoning with God as he sought to understand why an almighty God would allow such suffering, or at least that's how we tend to think of it, like, God, why would you allow this? Hear his wisdom on that. It's so solid. And a few things for you to think about that I found so impactful. Alex talks about, uh, and is such a wonderful example of the combination that a calling is a few things. One, it is the burden or the mission that God has placed on your heart. And I love that Alex said, when you are connected to the heart of God, you start to be disturbed by the things he has given you to be disturbed about and you start to rejoice over the things that god rejoices over and to get to that point you have to be in prayer and honestly spend consistent time studying the word of god in the bible and also another component of a calling is your talents and you've heard me talk about this and it seems natural right what you're good at but alex goes into so much more depth about um what a talent is and how it's what you excel at. And he talks about the sense of belonging you only find, I mean, in this specific sense of belonging, whenever you are really using your talents and hitting such a flow state in your work and also being affirmed from many different angles that this is the work you are most effective at. And more than just uh, the uh, calling being the burden on your heart and the mission to accomplish and the talents you have to use, but it's also the experience of surrendering and let the Holy Spirit carry you through the the hardest parts of accomplishing your mission. Because a calling is not something to be done in your own strength. It's given by God for the glory of God. And it's something that God accomplishes through you. And he does not leave us alone to accomplish this in our own strength because it's not possible sometimes. And you'll hear that some crazy things in Alex's story. You'll also hear me in the end, this is kind of interesting, get convicted about how in hearing Alex's story, I realized I am so hyper-focused most of the time on the character of god that is his joy and he is peace and he is awe and wonder and i get so wrapped up in the like life is wonderful sometimes that i realized i need to have more balance god and the lives he called us to are not all suffering and pain but it's also not all awe, wonder joy peace happiness all that stuff all the time there's balance that needs to be had here And so we talked about that in the end, and I found that really impactful. And there are so many other things in this episode. I could go forever, but frankly, at this point, I'm really just stopping you from hearing all those words from Alex himself. But go ahead and go over to Instagram, and as you're listening to the episode, tag me at Kelsey underscore the cult career and share some of the most impactful things that you learned or what touched your heart from this episode. And this is not just a self-promoting request that I have for you guys. I started this podcast as a part of my calling. Uh, we're talking about things that frankly are not talked about enough or at all in my personal experience. And so this is encouragement. This is wisdom that needs to be spread far and wide. So please encourage your friends with that. Tag them and share um, a quote or two from all of the wonderful things that Alex had to say. But without further ado, please just enjoy the words from Alex himself. Well, my friend, Alex Park, I already know that this is probably going to have to turn into a regular segment in which we discuss deep theological (laughs) ponderings because that already just happened for 30 minutes before we hit record. Of course, naturally. I am so excited to hear about your story, which also in true fashion, we broke down what the heck that means and its cultural context. But would you go ahead and let us know a little bit about yourself like what's the the quick summary
1: yeah wow the quick summary well we all know that i'm incapable of doing that but um <laughs> yeah well first off thanks for having me on this is a really um cool opportunity to talk about this stuff and i think podcasts have been a really cool thing for people to get involved in conversations so i really appreciate you having me on of course yeah i'm so excited um so yeah i I was born in California, born and raised, so um, there's, there's a lot to that, but kind of came up in the Calvary Chapel Church, for those who know um, about that highly West Coast kind of non-denominational movement, which um, was actually a really good place to grow up in the faith, but um, was born in Los Angeles. Um, my parents met down there, uh, which is another kind of crazy story that's pretty big, I guess, in mine. um where so my mom is actually from Nicaragua and um she came up to, yeah maybe
0: I did and I just forgot <laughs> yeah
1: I don't know if we ever talked about it too much but um she came up I mean the reason why she met my dad in Los Angeles was because um her and her sister first went to New York actually and they moved to LA later but they fled the war in Nicaragua there was a civil war going on this is um for those of you who know like the Sandinistas um, fighting against the Contras. So her family was actually on the side of the communists, unfortunately, but have since come around. So, I mean, my uncles that that live here in Los Angeles to this day, like, were Sandinistan revolutionaries fighting for the socialist dream, which is crazy to think about. But um, yeah, my... Ancestry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so my sister, so my mom's older sister fled first because literally she was going to university there and her friends were disappearing for speaking out against the government and she was like not me (laughs) like i'm (laughs) not not, (laughs) yeah so so tia blanca so blanca left first and then kind of little by little the rest of the family followed and um, i mean my mom has seen some crazy stuff which i always forget like she doesn't have an accent she doesn't look like she's like from some somewhere really foreign or anything like that she's just a I'm like, yeah, my mom's just an American lady, but she has this crazy past that most people don't share. And uh, that ended up shaping me quite a bit. She's always been one of my biggest heroes. So they met down there, and then we moved up to, uh, to Napa. Um, my dad had gotten a job. He's a software engineer, and um, he's also kind of like uh, – like we, my parents decided to homeschool us and I have three other siblings. Uh, we're Wait, all like,
0: have we already connected on this?
1: Maybe. I, I think so. Friends?
0: Yeah. I, oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah, well, homeschoolers unite. Jolly.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, that of course is funny because people have all kinds of different ideas of what that looks like. Really one idea that <laughs> we're like, <laughs> just one, yeah, terrible like, one terrible idea, like, like, uh, like mean girls. Like we're all just like that. Uh, And uh, anyway, so, um, but, uh, yeah, by the time that we got to junior high school, we were taking, like, online courses and going to a private school for classes and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean, that scene, like, the homeschool experience is so different for different people. But um, I actually Mm -hmm. really uh, enjoyed it, I think. Like, it gave us a lot. Um, By the time I got to college, I was like, this is a joke, like, compared to how hard I worked in high school, actually. Um, Just being... Yeah. And that, that was,
0: I I felt that way, but I, (laughs) college was, I I felt prepared for it and everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's yeah. And so that's, that's the funny thing. And like everyone in homeschool and in regular school, I guess has different experiences with that. But my parents did a really um, good job. I think like they, especially my dad was, was really big into like apologetics and teaching us like philosophy and like why we believe what we believe and kind of like both my mom and dad having a really intellectually curious culture that they cultivated in the family. And so, um, we love books, we love talking about ideas and, um, that continues to this day. And so we kind of all have like a solidarity around that. Um, and so that gave me a lot of like huge framework to piece together some of the, some of the things I was working through later. Um, so, you know, and we've talked about this, obviously kind of my big, um, professional thing, for the longest time was I I was in the military until recently. and just not transitioning out and I didn't have um, any family members or anything that encouraged me to do that. I mean, there's quite a few that actually encouraged me not to. My parents were pretty much on board. um, Although I will say my mom, (laughs) when I had decided to uh, enlist out of high school, and this is again, part of like why her background is such a big deal in my life now. um, I was like, Hey mom, like, you know, you've known that I've been wanting to join the military for a while. I'm gonna go. Do, I'm gonna go do it, and uh, and I'll I'll do college later. She was like, "Nope, you're gonna do college now." I didn't escape. War. Not on my watch. <laughs> yeah, she was like, "I didn't escape a war, so my son could go die in one without an education. So you oh. could, yeah. So you can go do that. Then you can go die wherever you want." <laughs> uh, I- I was Quite like,
0: speechless at the moment.
1: Yeah, I was like, well, I was too. I was like, well, I, <laughs> I can't say anything against that. And do you know what, it's not going to really change anything anyway. So, <laughs> and I told her, I was like, all right, I'll go to college. And then I'll go die mom. <laughs> That's my oh. shoulder. I, I was not. <laughs> yeah, family
0: dynamic is already like movie quality. Basically. Oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs>
1: stuff <like> movies. <laughs> there, I was just a rebellious brat. And I just wanted to do my own thing. Oh, and so, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so, uh, and that's how it worked. That's why I went to college before I joined. And, uh, but yeah, like, um, the what brought me to that decision though was, uh, kind of doing my own research for something in junior high. And I don't even remember what the project was. I was researching for some paper and, um, doing all this on the internet and then kind of found out, like, whoa, here's like all of this reporting on this. Uh, genocide i forgot which one it was it might have been rwanda or i think it was actually the yugoslav war Mm, and like we had been taught in our family about the holocaust and like the armenian genocide which is a little bit lesser known but it's more of just like these were these big programs for killing people because they held these terrible ideas and when you have these terrible ideas that's consequences but we didn't really talk about like what really happens during those programs? we knew it was bad but i didn't really like know right and we didn't we mm-hmm. didn't obviously like see anything like that but obviously when you're on the internet is there's, there's a lot of just unbridled information on there which is uh you know which is dangerous i mean it really is it's dangerous and so um but as a kid for whatever reason like i mean i was like 13 and i was like whoa and then uh, dove deeper and deeper and deeper down into the hole of the, of the depravity that's, that's connected into the internet, which of course is really like a harsh thing for a kid to come across. And I couldn't make sense of it. Um, but the weird thing was, was that like, I didn't have a reaction and and this is sort of, you know, what we're going to talk about later of where, you know, something that God puts in you, I guess, or something, but or maybe it was just in, in my development because I was younger. I didn't have the ability to compartmentalize that and stow it away. You know, I didn't have the ability to be like, oh, well, that happened a long time ago. Or that happened in another country. Or that happened somewhere else. And it's not affecting me. So I, I can just, that makes me feel bad. So I can just put it away. I, I, I wasn't capable of that as much as I wanted to, as much as I tried. And I would go back and I was like, how far down does this go? Like how evil can people get and, and how do I stop it? And, um, you know, unfortunately that's kind of a fool's errand. So I just, I learned a lot, a lot of terrible things, saw a lot of terrible things and it, it sort of just built up in me this, I mean, extreme sense of, um, not only hatred for those things that are done, but kind of just like a constant discontent with things in general because now I felt like I was trapped in a box and I could see what was happening outside of the box, but I couldn't affect it. And so I just felt helpless and all the time. I just walk around with this. And that was a crazy kind of formative time with God too, because um, you're like, if God is good, all these things, right? If God is good, how does this happen? If God is loving, how does this happen? Why does this happen? God is either not there or he's failing. And, and that was one point where I was like, well, maybe God doesn't exist. And, yeah, I was like 14 at that point. And that, that, that kind of felt like it opened up this big hole in the ground. And I felt like I was falling into it. Like, what else is there? If, yeah. if there isn't a God underneath, yeah, you know, it's, what do you really think about that? It's like, if there is no God, then what is there? And that's mm-hmm. why Nietzsche was like, there is nothing there. It's an abyss. And he talks about that. And, you know, meanwhile, all of his peers are like, yay, there's no more religion. Now we can just believe in science and make the society better. And, you know, and now we don't need any of that. But he's like, no, you don't, you have no idea what you've done. Right. And that's why Nietzsche was like, "There, there we've killed God. God is dead. He, he, it wasn't like a triumphal thing. Like a lot of Christians see that as like, Nietzsche was like, we've killed God. He's dead. And, and we're like, no, he's not. He's not dead. Don't say that it's it's that's not, not dead you, love that. yeah yeah you know and, so and it's creepy. like that's yeah yeah it's like that's not what he was saying he's like wow. what you can't if you read the whole passage he says these incredible things like like you feel cold even during the day because there is no light you only have the lanterns you made and you know how are you going to drink up the sea and blot out the light of the sun and things like this like you've killed a god in his and we're and we're living from his carcass essentially the values right of our society are still living off of the values of the book of the Bible. So it's crazy. But I sort of like felt that when I was, when I was a kid, it was like, like what, what else is it? And it was, it was terrifying. Like I, you feel like that feeling in your stomach when you're falling, like in a dream. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh, like, I, we're not going to go there. I was like, that, that can't be a thing.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> there has to I'm be. Like, it was sort of,
1: <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, that, you know, okay fine well then i have to make sense of this and so i just argued with god all the time i just yelled at him and those are my prayers i was like god you're terrible <laughs> and all these terrible things are happening and it's on you because you can change it and that's sort of me applying obviously like a human rubric to mm-hmm. the morality of god but um that's how i felt and basically that was my experience with god for like the next three years i was just angry at everyone because they didn't care you know and i was a kid i was like everyone should care about this because this is bothering me. Classic teenager kind of mode.
0: Also but, classic um, me. Whenever I first became a vegan, I was like, everyone is evil for not seeing this. And then I <laughs> learned how to yeah, introduce myself to polite society again while holding the right. voice.
1: <laughs> yeah. we all. have Yeah. It's a crazy transition. Yeah. And it's natural. And so when you're in that, it's kind of a critical time. Like you really need someone to help to teach you like, hey, it's okay. Like we're not all going to be in the same boat I mean, this is why teenagers need parents, they need guidance, they need, because they're not just angry because of hormones or something. It's not like, oh, I'm so angry because now, you know, I, I stink or something. Like, I'm angry because my parents are telling me to do things that aren't fun or whatever. Like, that's not the thing with teenagers. Like, at least for me, maybe, is that, like, when you're 13 and you can start understanding abstract math, like, your brain literally starts understanding abstract things, all the things that don't necessarily directly affect you are now real. They're real things, and so you're like, this is what teenagers are all about: injustice and social justice, and this and that. And life's not fair, and it's not fair because people are failing, and we need to stop doing that. We need to do something about all this evil in the world. And it's and and so it, it just like it, it bothers them, and then people condescend to them. They're like, well, oh, you're young, that's why you're angry about this. You're just young. You'll find out that that's futile, and then you'll figure out how to live for yourself, which is like that's a crazy conclusion first off to say it's like well you'll worry how you'll worry that you have enough problems in your life to deal with that and then you'll just kind of focus on that and you'll be too tired to think about anything else it's like that's unbelievably condescending
0: what a disempowered view yeah
1: but it's sort of like yeah if you think about it it's kind of the implicit thing that's taught to people it's like well you'll learn you haven't been crushed yet but you'll learn it's like well yeah yeah it's like sure you haven't been crushed yet but that doesn't mean we're all going to learn the same things from that. That actually defines who you're going to be, how you react to that. But so, you know, it was, it's hard and it, it was isolating and all that, whatever. And so as I grew up, something happened when I was like 16 or 17 to where, you know, and being in the church, people emphasize the aspect of God that is mercy and forgiveness and love. You're special, you're chosen, you're loved, you're this, you're that. I was like, great, hey, that's fine. Like I'm so, Okay. If I'm all those things, right? If we're all princes and princesses for God, it's like, well, but then what about these people? Like, why are they suffering? Like what use is a prince and a God if they, if they're dying like this, they're not just dying either. I mean, awful unspeakable things are happening out in the world and we see them and then we we can't really make sense of them. So we look away. And, um, I, I just don't really remember how this came to be, but, um, and my parents became good at this later. Like they, they are not people that stick their heads in the sand for sure. They just didn't really quite know how to lead me into like a, like a professional sort of like lived um, confrontation with the things that I was contending with. Right. And and that's obviously mm-hmm. what we're here to talk about is sort of like that idea, like what, what brings us to that point. And at, at some point I saw that God too suffered. Like he, he looked out into the world, and he wasn't saying the serenity prayer like we're taught. He wasn't like, oh, you know, like this is all going to hell in a handbasket. But one day it'll all be better. It'll all just be better, you know. Um, he's not like the, cause that because that's what people taught me. And I thought that God was like that. He's just standing up there, and he's just like, oh, well, you know, this all one day. it'll be
0: better. Yeah, I'll wipe every tear in the end. Yeah, in the
1: end, yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, it's just like this is just kind of going to be sucky for a while.
0: It's just a mess. Yeah. Oh, and, well. and
1: I was like, huh, that seems messed up. And so, but then I realized like you look at God in the Bible and Jesus in the Bible and he's not like that. He suffered. Like he looks down like Romans eight. It's like he endured with much long suffering, the vessels made for destruction. It's like, what, how does that make sense? Well, then why isn't he doing anything? I thought he was sovereign. Like, well, doesn't he just do what he wants? Isn't that like part of being God? Doesn't he just do what he wants? And then, and, and then uh, then later on, it was like Jesus, right, like looks at Jerusalem and he weeps over it, over something that's already accomplished, like something that he can't change. And he's like, if only you had listened to my words, Israel would have gathered you under my wings. And he weeps. It's like, it, that doesn't seem right either. Like, wouldn't Jesus have just like looked at Jerusalem and been like, oh, Jerusalem, you know, like you you messed up. But it's okay. We all mess up. <laughs> None of us are perfect and the the Romans are going to come in a few decades and just destroy the whole city. And so there's not one rock left on the other, but Hey, like it happens. That happens. Yeah. God has a plan.
0: Don't forget. You're still my yeah, yeah, yeah. little.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, you know, it, it'll all be better. You know, you'll one day I'll give you a city, but this one will be blown up, but that's okay. It, he's not like that. He suffers. He looks at it and suffers. And I was like, huh, it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And so I, I, I related to that God and he revealed, himself to me like that later someone someone pointed this out to me i don't remember who it was it was like a pastor or a mentor someone and and i was talking to them about one of the psalms and and they were like god you know god suffers right like he suffers so much i was like wait really yeah and so that's what i related to and that's when i that's when i sort of felt seen and so that dark period where god was silent kind of like ended and during that whole time i was like well I don't know anyone in the military, but it seems like the military is oriented towards these problems, right? These tyrannies in the world that decide to destroy whole parts of their population or these, um, you know, conversely, the terrorist groups that operate underneath them or the insurgent groups or whatever that are committing these insane, insane atrocities. Right? I mean, even before ISIS, there's a lot of uh, groups that did stuff like this, like the Rwandan genocide was accomplished by one of these kinds of groups. And that, that's what was on my mind. I'm like, who's dealing with this problem, right? Who's dealing with it? And no one was like, oh, the military, <laughs> duh, right? They're like, oh, no, don't worry about that. You can't do anything about
0: that. Don't worry, don't yeah, worry. Don't, yeah, don't worry. And you're like, 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 I want to help. Yeah, it's like, well, I, someone... If you're so convicted about it, you want to join some yeah. kind of effort to assist. Right, right. And so you, you felt that the military was, that was the, the best outlet, although you didn't have many people or anyone as an example in right. your life. Or pointing you towards that. Right. You found it. And then you joined after college.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I ended up going to college. Thanks to mom. Thanks, mom. And then thanks, mom. Um, through talking to one of the professors there, he was like, you should be an officer. Um, all of these different reasons. He was actually a, a uh, Marine officer. And he was like, you should definitely go that route. Um, you would be able to use a lot more of your talent. And you'll still be in the field. Like, don't don't worry. You're not going to be stuck in an office all day. I was like okay, well, if you say so. So I joined ROTC um, and ended up commissioning after that, and went uh, went into the infantry, did Ranger School, Airborne, and then I was stationed at uh, Fort Campbell. So that's why I was in Nashville for a while. Um, it's about an hour away from there, and then that's kind of that's kind of where my career was. Um, in 2016, half of the unit ended up deploying, and uh, that was actually a moment where. Um, I had the opportunity to get into uh, the special operations unit. So I'm actually kind of jumping around in my timeline. Like that year I graduated in 2013. So all of 2014 was training. Like the beginning of 2014 was infantry school. And then that summer was just the intensely miserable ranger school, um, which almost cured me completely, honestly, of like wanting to do any of that special operator crap at all. Like,
0: special operator crap yeah you know
1: like because i wanted to be a seal originally and then you know i kind of like switched over to the whole green beret thing i was like yeah i should be a green beret so that's why i wanted the army and uh and ranger school is kind of like the first step kind of like in that timeline of of the whole special operations career like um not always but it tends to be especially for the officers um you, you kind of have to be even just to be a regular infantry officer you have to go to ranger school usually um, to get a platoon and to, to get command time. And so, uh, that's just part of the process. And it's like, it's only going to get more of this. Like, there's only going to be more experiences like ranger school. Like you're just miserable. You're stuck in the woods, you know, you're getting eaten by chiggers and huge mosquitoes and you're getting two hours of sleep average a night. Like that's, it's like, well, welcome to special operations, you know?
0: Would this be the point in your story where you're echoing the thoughts of the adults whenever you were a teenager, like you'll get yours, basically? Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: something like that. Life. Yeah, I was like, this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> like when I got out of ranger school, I was like, you know what? Like I could be a mailman. That that just sounds nice. Like I could could go for the nine to five and you know have people kind of tell me what success is and just just do that, like, and not be in the do- woods ever. I hate the woods. I hate, you know, being away from civilization and all that. And, uh, and just like the repetitive misery of it, like, it it was like, why are we even doing this? There were parts of ranger school, actually, that I will say that, um, that did give me a sense of belonging, which is something that I think is worth talking about, um, in regards to calling, because, you know, like, there was a there was a couple of missions that we did in there that um, I had rotations with other guys who were from actual ranger battalion, So I wasn't in Ranger Battalion, the school, it's kind of funny to like differentiate it, but the school is just a training course. And then Ranger Battalions are the actual like units that are Rangers and they go do missions um, under that umbrella. And so um, I got to work with some of those guys because they all have to go through the school at some point to get to leadership. And um, I made friends with these guys because we all kind of like hated the experience like We're all just like, this is repetitive and ridiculous and we're not learning anything. It's just misery, which it's kind of true. I mean, we did learn a lot, but it was a lot of it is just what they call a gut check. Like it's just like one, what is it? Two meals a day, which is not even half of the calories that you need. You lose like 10 pounds every, every, uh, training week that you go out, which is like nine days. Um, so it's ridiculous. Like every phase we would lose 10 pounds and I gain like five back when we got back into the barracks and ate a real meal. Um, it's just miserable. The whole thing is just miserable. And I was in there for three and a half months because I recycled one phase.
0: Oh my gosh. This sounds like my experience breaking my jaw minus being in the, <laughs> the woods.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's basically exactly what. Right. It's just pain. It's just pain.
0: Just pain. That's it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. and no sleep and, and you're delirious. Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. And so anyway, so I made friends with these guys and we had a mission where like every single one of us was, you know because the slots are random you kind of the the whole point of it is that you're picked at random for like a leadership rotation and then you have to lead all these zombies to do something and that's hard it's way harder than it sounds like no one wants to do anything obviously so uh so you know me and like three other dudes from ranger bat uh got selected for leadership rotations and we were just like heck yeah dude like we we got into the center of like our little leadership huddle we just like it was all high fives and like, dude, we're gonna slaughter this, and we did good. Like, uh, we we did it was a raid or whatever, and we we did a perfect raid on this compound. And and this never happens. Like with an after action review and AAR in the military, the saying goes, it's like there's always something you can improve on. That's really how it goes. It's like you have an action after action review, even if it's really good, there's always something you can improve on. And I got to the end of the day, like we did the raid all night, and in the morning, my evaluator came back and. Um, I gave him some of my some of my products or whatever for, for our mission. And then he's like, all right. Um, he's like, honestly, you had a really good team. Uh, I have almost, I have no improves for you guys. You guys executed a perfect mission. I was like, has that ever? I've never heard of anyone making that happen before. It, and granted, this is not because I'm amazing. I literally had like four other dudes from Ranger Battalion that were like in my leadership as squad leaders. So it's kind of hard to mess it up at that point. But we did really well. And... um, that was a sense where I was like, man like that cohesion and that team and that purpose and like I mean doing a raid is really exciting I mean I mean it sounds exciting it is exciting there's a lot of misery leading up to it obviously all the hours like sitting in the cold um but it, it is fun there's nothing funner than doing a raid funner I could
0: hear in raid. your voice you reliving this memory
1: <laughs> oh man it's so fun I mean like it's so quiet for hours and hours and so dark and then it kicks off and it's just chaos and noise. And you kind of like pour over the objective in this organized way, and you know, and and seeing the the guys from major battalion work was amazing. Like they were so efficient, and you know, even when we came across like there was barbed wire that we didn't expect, we were like, oh my gosh, I thought this was like one tower that we're attacking because they just give you a, they don't tell you anything about what you're attacking. They just they're like, here's a a uh, they they call it a point. Like they give you a. Uh, what is it called? Like a, you basically plot a point. They give you a coordinate and they're like, all right, execute a raid at this coordinate. <laughs> That's all they tell you. They're like, all right, you can go do that. They're like, cool. And then, so you go and you're supposed to recon it and figure it out and then go attack it later. So it takes a long time to set up, but um, you know, it's like we didn't, it, it turned out not to be just a tower. It was like a compound with barbed wire around it and all this stuff. And I was like, we're busted. Like none of us knew this was here. I didn't know it was here. And, and in my brain, it's so catastrophic. You know, you're like, I'm going to fail this lane. I'm going to have to recycle Florida phase. And I'm almost done with the course. Like, can I not just finish this course and go home? Like, God, can you please deliver yeah, like, please, me like, yeah. Your whole
0: life flashes before <laughs> your eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's so Nailed serious.
1: It. Like, it's so depressing. I mean, there was one, one of the other guys from Ranger Battalion we left behind in the previous phase. Are you serious? He, yeah. Wait, well, he okay, didn't pass I- his lane. I so,
0: don't understand all of these military terms and whatever, but it seems like in any human's heart, whenever you say we had to leave him behind, that yeah. seems really serious and Oh, terrible. it's
1: so serious. Yeah. I mean, it, all of his friends were in this group, in this class, and you're given two two lanes. That's like two rotations as a leader. And if you don't pass, like if you don't do the right things as a leader in that, then you have to do the phase over or you get dropped from the course. And you've That's suffered crazy. all this time for nothing. That's the whole. That's the whole scary thing, and of course, like it's so depressed. Everyone's sitting around. They're like, "Oh, I had a buddy. He went through all three phases. He recycled every phase. He so had to do them all twice, and then he got dropped in Florida phase."
0: Oh my god, like, hey, dude,
1: awesome! Like, how does that help us? Please, please just keep those comments to yourself.
0: Yeah, silent tears um, rolling down everyone's faces. Exactly.
1: We're all just okay. like, man, I hate this.
0: I hate this. Um, five, though, and you, <laughs> yeah, went on to have more experience in the military and there's so much to get into with your story. So oh my I gosh. To get to those things. Plus yeah. our theological mental sword fight oh, man. The, about yes. what calling is. The
1: calling. <laughs> yes. So those things kind of taught me what belonging is, right? You get that, you get that sense that you're gifted for this, Um, that you, that, that God has given you certain things that orient you towards that, right? They, it's not only really that you're good people talk about flow right mm-hmm. and and flow is kind of like that it's like the the skills and abilities that you have coincide perfectly with the challenge that's in front of you and you fall into this like um like a like Trying an absent-minded yeah yeah and, and you can do a ton of that kind of work joyfully and efficiently and effectively and so that gives you a sense of belonging there's several things that give you a sense of belonging but in terms of like um, like accomplishing certain things or understanding what your task is. You have that sense. And then, and then you get that belonging with the other people that you're around and that you're working with. And then, you know, and then the rest of society kind of like backs that up. They're like, oh, he's a soldier. He's really good at being a soldier. He's a lawyer. He's this or she's that. And it's like belonging is all those things. It's like when you find your place that you as a human are contributing in some way and you're solving some problem that gives you joy right? Joy. And we talked about joy as having this witnessing redemption, like you're turning something from a broken thing or unsolved thing to a whole thing or a more whole thing. Um, I mean, even if you're in the military and your job is to kill people and break things, as they say, you're, you're still like, you're in that situation in order to break something that is causing the disease in that country or supposedly, right? Like you're going in there to, to do that. And so, and so again, God brought me through a lot of those things to kind of like start to show me in my experiences, and He does this with all of us, like as we're going along our, our path in life. And so after Ranger School, um, I had one of those those moments kind of with God where I was like, All right, I don't want to do the whole special operator thing. I wanna I want to I want to kind of wrap this up. And I, you know, kind of was like, I don't see how I can do this with a family and all of that, and I have all these fears. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in a small group at a local church there, and I was driving back home one day from it. And um, I had this like crushing conviction feeling, like that I was running away from that in an almost audible voice. Not, not quite, but, but that form, the conviction would form an idea. And the idea was, you need to try to be a Green Beret. It wasn't like you're going to be a Green Beret, it was like you need to try and go down this path. You need to go do it. And I wept in the car. I was like, I don't want to. I don't want to be in the woods. I don't want to be around people that that are coarse and they don't think about stuff and they only care about their own glory and all of this stuff. Like, I'm tired of being around people. I don't have the option of being around and, and being away and I won't be able to have a family that way and I'll be away from all of my friends. I just wept. I was like, I feel like I've been given a death sentence
0: which um, I'm thinking back to what you said to your mom yeah I'm gonna fine I'll go to college and then I'll die for something
1: still then I'll die for something yeah yeah and so um, but that's kind of what I was like all right I guess I need to I guess I need to try this thing I don't know if it's gonna happen or not and when I got to Campbell a friend of a friend connected me with someone in fifth group special special operations group uh, at Campbell and he kind of mentored me into the process of getting into this other unit in California, which is why I ended up down here. Um, and they would have tryouts. It was a national guard unit. You basically, and the idea behind that was I'd be able to split my time between doing special operations missions for the, for the federal government. Cause you don't work for the state. Actually, it's kind of weird the way that, um, national guard, special operations works. Um, and then split my time between that and like maybe a family one day or doing, I was getting into, um, some pretty cool opportunities with uh, like international justice mission and i wanted to look into the ngo world yeah um because i was like well the military is one answer but there's all these other answers too yeah so long story short um got selected for that which at that point you have like a 90 percent chance plus of like making it through the rest of training but um for one reason or another again it's just like an ongoing process but Despite God, it, and it's interesting. God showed me like you're capable of this thing, you're capable of this thing, and I didn't know because those are questions. Like as a young person, you don't know what you're capable of yet. Yeah. And He shows you like, oh, you're capable of Ranger School, you're capable of passing Special Operations selection, like all this stuff. And and yet I went and did the training, um, did uh, did big selection at Fort Bragg twice. The first time Hurricane Irma came through and just blew out our class. I mean, you can imagine like doing land navigation in a swamp with the hurricane going almost no one passed it was just ridiculous it was a washout so i was like all right well that's not fair but there's next time (laughs) so uh i was like all right so i just trained up again and then once around two this is last april and uh got an injury in my knee that i've never had before or had since which is just crazy um doing doing a ruck that was very easy for me Wow. And I just went and I did this ruck march, which is it's you, you're carrying 80 pounds on your back and you have to run it. And um, just a normal 12 miler, like done so many times before you <laughs> oh do my it. gosh. When you're training up. I would have yeah.
0: cardiac arrest, but go on, it's <laughs> normal.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, it's like in your train up, you're doing that weekly. Like you have like, you know, your runs and your pushups and all, all your other workouts. And on Saturday mornings, you go in a 12 mile ruck. That's just like a normal Saturday morning um and the, so I was doing like that
0: providential sounding injury oh, well it sounds like <laughs> it's, it's divine intervention in some way I don't oh, know
1: Oh yeah that's what Yeah you're yeah, yeah. and so that that's how that's how it was and it was just enough though cuz it did not it wasn't like a catastrophic knee injury I actually ended up finishing the remaining 3 weeks this happened on like day 3 and so I just limped the, I was like oh well it's done it's done like there's no way I can do the rest of this week even and then I passed the, they have cuts like at the end of every week past cut one. I was like, well, that's weird. I, I didn't even finish that last run. Like in decent time, I had to limp. I was like a zombie, like running the whole thing. And then did land navigation course, did the whole thing, barely passed, which is part of the reason why I didn't get selected. I got four out of eight points. And then past that, I was like, why am I still here? And everyone was the same way. They're like, how is this guy still here? Like they saw a bad, I could barely like limp over to get our food, like, like, 50 feet away and then and then we were still like rucking like miles and miles in the woods in the dark and uh and then the last week team week and then we finished a marathon with the ruck on it was 26 miles they call it the trek and it was the most painful experience of my life and finished it with the injury and I was like in shock afterwards laying in bed shaking um we all were everyone was it's just an unbelievable brutal event um, woke up. Okay. You yeah. don't have to convince me. <laughs> I mean, we were all just so surprised at how heinous it was. We were like, I mean, huge monster dudes who ran faster than me were just like, I would never do that again. That was unbelievably painful. And they looked at me and they were like, I thought about you and I have no idea how you made it. I was like, yeah, I, dude, grace of God. I have no idea either. You just go. And then, yeah, last formation, we all made it and people were like, dude, I don't know how you did it blah, 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 like, that's incredible. I don't, like, how is that possible? You, you limp the whole course. Like, I don't know, man, mercy of God. And then they call the roster numbers out and my roster number was called. And that was it. It was like, it was that fast. It was just like, yep, you're not going to be a Green Beret. And so, um, yeah, it was a crazy moment. And I had this, I had an interesting piece about it though. I was like, if not this, then something else. If not this. yeah, And you
0: actually did obey the. Right. Well, I don't know if you would say command you at least said conviction a conviction that right. needed to try
1: right right and so and so I had peace and the whole thing smelt of like it's not really in my hands like I gave I used all the resources that I could in that moment and God touched my knee and that's all that that that's all that I could do and so he obviously has a better way or in, mm-hmm. in a better way people a lot of times can misinterpret that where it's like well there's some other profession that you're more suited to, or there's another way that you're going to enjoy more, and that's not yeah. God's promise, right? His promise is that He's going to use you to His will, right? This is kind of like, a, like listening to your earlier conversation with Bethany. It's like God's about God. He's not Yeah, God, it's
0: for God. is for God. God, not is for God.
1: Yeah, He, He's not here to like be your genie and, and make all your dreams happen. Um, but but again, it's like He doesn't your your pain, even if it's like your 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 disappointment in in rebellion to god he still uses that like he uses when you this is the awesome thing about god is that when you follow him none of your death none of your pain or sorrow is in vain. or he uses all of it to turn you and to turn the people around you more into his image which is cool And, and well. and he's been teaching me that more so over time and so despite having to like sort of reorient myself towards um other other professional opportunities it's like God has kind of called me, because He showed me. You know, He's like, "Hey, you belong here. You love it here. You love some of the guys here are amazing dudes. Like I've never met people like that before or since. They'll put their skin on the line for stuff, and they'll endure insane hardship for people they don't know. I mean, sincerely, not, there's a lot of guys that go in for for their glory because it's cool or badass or whatever to be a Green Beret. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's a couple of Christian guys that I remember to this day that that. I mean they so sincerely believed that like this was what they needed to do to to help alleviate the pain out there that exists from ISIS, from Boko Haram, from all the enemies that we fight, the the kind of situations that Al Qaeda puts people in, like, those are real. They're real and they and they they continue on and that that was their mindset. And God showed me all that. And then he's like, But I need you to die (laughs) to yourself. I need you to die to (laughs) yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, he and people. I think people have this kind of like this opinion of God, where like if you don't want to be a missionary in Africa, then he'll send you to Africa, or you know what I mean. Like, and if you if you want to be a missionary in Africa, then he'll send you to Los Angeles. You know, like God just kind of like plays the opposite game. Oh, so he's always breaking. Yeah, the opposite, game. yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. The opposite game.
1: Yeah, but that's not that's not what he's doing. He 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 basically, to what it seems, is that he's showing you these experiences and giving you these things like um like we were talking about Abraham earlier, right? And God's like, here's here's my promise. I'm gonna give you this son. And basically I'm gonna bless all of the nations through him, through this nation, right? And from your seed will come the redemption of all things. And it's like that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool promise. Like Abraham just wanted a kid. He's like, well I don't have a kid. And God's like how about how about I give you one more? i'll do you one more you know like he'll be the he'll, he'll be a nation yeah yeah remember you yeah you know and it's like great i mean that's cool and then and then he gets isaac and then god's like also go sacrifice him on a mountain and and abraham must have just been like what like this is isn't he supposed to be a nation like was that did we did you forget and he's like, all right fine right so and abraham's not gonna like argue with god he, he's like all right We'll figure this out. So he takes his son. Because, you know, imagine being in that situation. It's like, God promised you this kid. and it is the blessing of this kid. Yeah. And and he's like, all right, go kill him. And you're like, that seems like the opposite of what was supposed to happen here.
0: The opposite game. Yeah,
1: yeah. And he goes up. And, uh, and at the last moment, then he stops him. And he's like, because you've shown faith. Because you've shown faith. Because you're willing to die to what? you were like you are your son like it, your son is part of who you are you love him that's what love is it's like he's he's who you are he's your identity and god needs to know that your identity doesn't come before god like your faith to god comes before everything that you are everything that you love all of your identity and and you burn it at the altar of of god and that's why he shows you every little bit that he shows you of where you belong in the world all of your predilections and gifts and desires like he doesn't just show you that to crush you or to disappoint you like he's given you those things to one degree or another I think because you know all good things come from God like creation itself yeah you know creation itself is
0: I think it's in James like all good things come from the Lord yeah and what you're saying it's so I just want to sear it in my mind is that All things, all things that we have, all things that we are, all things that we've been given, which is like the underlying theme and all of that, are made to be a continual living sacrifice. Yes, to the Lord who entrusted them
1: to us. Entrusted them to us, and He gives us those things. It's like in Revelation, He gives, you know, these these crowns go to these kings, and all the kings do to them with these crowns is they throw them at the feet of God. And it's like, well, why why did they get crowns in the first place? Well, without the crowns, we have nothing to give God. It's like the greatest gift to be given something to give back to God because we don't we don't have anything. All we have are the things dear mm-hmm. to yes. us. You know. That it.
0: just meant so much to me what you just said, because how many times have I heard, you know, just it's a crown that you'll cast at his feet? Yeah. You know, pray that you have things I don't even know what verse that comes from, sure. but somewhere in the Bible of like you get to heaven and hopefully you will have crowns to cast before the yeah, lord right and you just made sense of that kind of um platitude sure. that it's become which it is that a crown think of it as a kingdom right of the things you are meant to steward and not just steward maybe a better word because words you know yes. as we love. um is rule, because in Genesis, it says that we are meant to rule and and subdue the earth. And we're the only creature that was given specific work to rule. And that is so kingly. And how much responsibility do we see on the shoulders of leaders of governments? How much influence do we see that they have? How much pain do they cause? How much um, opportunity do they have to help? And it is so empowering and moving to think, what crowns have I been given? What am I meant to rule and see that same level of responsibility for?
1: Right, right. And that's to our conversation, right, about the parable of the talents.
0: Yes. Right.
1: And And the quantity of the talents wasn't so important. It's actually interesting, like they get a proportion of a reward uh, to the responsibility per se, but percentage wise, it's the same thing. It's like, it didn't really matter whether or not you had five or you have 10, like you get double, you get double. Um, yeah. and, and all you're, all you're responsible for doing is, is cashing that in and using it. And then Jesus says in multiple times, like he who has little, even what he has will be taken away. I'm like that seems weird. That seems unfair. <laughs> What's the deal with that? Right. But again, it has a lot to do with that whole idea of what you're given is what you're responsible for and you're not responsible for what it turns into, you know, you're just because that's what the person with the one talent feared. He's like, well, I, I was afraid that I would lose it in the market. So I just thought that maybe I could just turn it in for interest or whatever, right? And I was even he afraid of buried doing it that.
0: In yeah, he's
1: like, well, I don't want to risk it even to that, so I'll just bury it in the ground. Um, and and he's like, you wicked and evil servant. You could, Well, I guess he said you could have even put it in the bank for interest. You didn't even do that. You didn't even do like a passive thing to use the talents I gave you. So I'm going to give that talent to the one who's actually using what I gave him. And then then everyone else, they're just responsible for going into the market and cashing it in. And whatever happens, happens, right? It's like, I send rain on the evil and the just. Why? Like, what's the deal with that? There's so much, like, when you look at the Bible, it's like, it doesn't really match a lot of the platitudes or the way that we think that our platitudes work. It's like, oh, if you have faith, God will bless your work. If you have faith, God will bless. It's like, not really. Like, look at Job. Look at. Almost every prophet, look at Jesus. <laughs> Je- like Jesus had all of his friends abandon him at his death. And it wasn't until later that they actually worked out their purpose through the through the help of the Holy Spirit. It's like Jesus in no way succeeded in the way that we would look at success. Didn't have friends, didn't have wealth, didn't have influence. He didn't start one church at a one, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, that's failure for sure. (laughs)
0: We're
1: like, not really, you know, and then people are like, well, that's not true because later his disciples did. It's like, yeah, later after he was dead, after he was dead, like Jesus was the perfect example of someone who used everything that he had, even with no reward, right? Even with absolutely no sense of entitlement as to what the results have to be. Of course, for him, he knew that he was going to be the second Adam and bring people into redemption and new life. And so in his death, he knew precisely what it meant. Um, and, and for us, we have to trust that, you know, we have to trust that when God calls us to pick up a cross and to die in the specific and special ways that he's given us to die, which yeah. is crazy to think about um, that, that he uses that to bear fruit in us like the seed dies and it grows and it bears fruit. But um, yeah, I mean, those are, those are a lot of the things that, that I think God has been teaching me through through that um, through that setback, you know. It's like to this day, I'm like I don't really know who I am per se because I've still kind of like fallen into that trap of identifying yourself by your profession. Because people ask you, "What are you going to be when you grow up? Who yeah. are you now?" That's one of the first questions we ask at, at when you get to know anyone. What do you do? Because that's who you are. It defines most of your life and it defines first
0: question. Yeah, last <laughs> to start getting information on you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, uh, I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't really have an identity. I just kind of have like these talents. And now I'm like, well, what, what, so I took stock. I was like, what talents do I have? Well, you know, I can use my head. I obviously am, I can use my body and I can, and I have a GI bill now. So I checked that. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, ho, ho, ho! you know, I didn't get a scholarship uh, for undergrad. So that means I'm entitled to uh, a ton of, of educational funding for grad school and i was like all right if that's not an open door i don't know what is so at this point i've kind of just oriented myself towards that and it's like all right i'll apply for uh for you know a dual degree major and go to dc and see what happens after that um you know do law and uh, international uh, affairs and security studies and uh, see what opportunities come up from that but you know, you sort of go into it now and it's like, I'll go with an open hand because obviously God has the wheel. It's like, but I, I don't have a whole lot like invested here at this point. It's like, well, I must be this because that was the Green Beret thing and the SEAL yep. thing. Like, I mean, after that, I like called the Air Force recruiter, called the SEAL recruiter, like called all these people. And it was like, yeah, you can pass the numbers, but for one administrative reason or another, it's like, you can't, you can't go this route. And I was like, dang, this is tough. <laughs> like, this is tough. I'm not going to be a special operator. You know, like, and that's frustrating when you know that, that, like.
0: That you held on to.
1: Yeah, it's like, I must be this because it's, well, because in your head, it's like, if you've been shown that you have the capability of doing that and it's like, well, what's, what is a more responsible stewardship of my gifts than doing that? Because what can utilize all of my gifts at the same time like that can? And God's like, don't worry about it. I'm I'm not concerned about using all your gifts at the same time. You know, or maybe
0: he has a more comprehensive understanding of what your gifts are than you do.
1: Yeah, either that or in the meantime again, like he's calling me to die and he called me to LA, which is a place that is in every way the opposite of what I expected to be this year. you know like this year I would have been at the Q course in Fort Bragg um, basically training a military unit to lead an insurrection in a foreign country that's the whole course that's what the q course is and you're oriented against you know isis and you're oriented against like syria like what would it look like to organize an insurrection against the syrian oppressive government and now i'm in los angeles with people that are here for one reason or another because the weather is nice you're close to you know hollywood and the stars and it's exciting and there's a lot of fun things to do but it's more or less like the mecca of entertainment, like the mecca of narcissistic, like self-centered uh, actualization, right? You know, it's like-
0: That seems like the antithesis.
1: It, in Alabama. every way, it is hell for me, right? I mean, it's enjoyable. There's so much good nature and the people are nice, like nicer than I expected. And and God has kind of um, arranged so that. Uh, one of my best friends from Nashville is actually here. So he's my roommate and he's like, I'm going to give you what you need to survive. And I mean, trust me, like it, it meant a lot to have one of my best friends here with me. This would have been a lot harder without him. Yeah. And, um, and so that worked out, that was a miracle. Like we're both here in Los Angeles from other States for just this year, literally just this year for separate reasons. So yeah, I mean, he provides like everywhere that you go, he gives you just what you like exactly what you need and not, Sometimes more, like sometimes he's like, "Hey, here's this really awesome thing that you didn't even dream of having." Sometimes it happens, but but at the minimum, he'll give you what you need for what he called you to do. And here, I'm called to like he's the meditations here are crazy. There, I mean, he's teaching me mercy for people that are completely different from me that literally are in the mode of running away from the hardships of life. Like the the whole point of entertainment, to one extent not not holy but is escapism and kind of like you know idolatry of these stars and of yourself and how you can climb that ladder and it's dark there's a lot of spiritual darkness in los angeles and 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 it's i mean I, like you said it's the antithesis for me and god's like hey are you still faithful like are you gonna <laughs> curse me while you're here working in this law firm in this office like getting ready for for law school and grad school but it's just, it's, it's a further fire. And, and he has a reason for it. And he's teaching me to savor sacrifice. Like he's teaching me to savor putting all of my desires on the altar and watching it burn and understanding that like, that is the best smelling incense to God, right? Your, your death, your body is a living sacrifice to God. And then he redeems that. He uses it in his time because the results aren't up to you.
0: Wow. Wow. I, I, I'm actually confronted in listening to you talk about all of these things and dying to yourself. And I know we've had a a great discussion on how humility literally is dying to yourself. Um, And all of this paints a picture of the topic of a calling that Mm -hmm. convicts how I typically live that out in my head. I have to be honest. I typically am so obsessed with this sensation of joy and yeah. I, I really relate to god in i mean there's endless facets of god endless technically and literally right yeah um, and the way that i relate to him sometimes the most is his goodness and you yeah. evil how much greater as such a good father do i know how to give you good gifts like that verse right really home right. for me and so i see that i think of the topic of following your calling
1: mm-hmm. as
0: such a grand adventure full of joy abundance yeah yeah in all of this and i i honestly think that you're talking about a truth and i'm talking about a truth but yeah. we have balance how, and-
1: how do those like exist together
0: i'm not having balance in that right so thankful to be talking to you and hearing your perspective on this which is full of very sobering words such as death and sacrifice and all of this
1: classic so,
0: so with all of that how are you What what would you say your calling is now
1: right yeah, and so we kind of had this conversation earlier about like what is a calling to begin with and how does that apply to a specific person, you know? So yeah, I mean, with the little time that we have left, um, kind of kind of what that idea is first is like um, human beings have like a purpose in that they're made in. Um, like human beings aren't made to do some things and they're made to do other things. And God, God made all of creation that way. Like whether you're a Christian or not, We're not designed to have sex with multiple partners all of the time and just follow our desires. You know, that it leads to destruction, right. Mm -hmm. Of our soul. We're not designed to um, kill other people writ large, like of our own volition because they anger us. We're not designed to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, And, and that's, that's another complicated topic too. It's like, there's a lot of things that we're not meant to that break down what we are as a human. And people see that, they, they don't really know how to express it, but they're like, that's a broken human. Like, Thing, they, they've gone through things that humans aren't supposed to go through and it breaks us. And so we know that. It's like trying to use a, a toaster as a hammer. It breaks the toaster. You're not supposed to do that, yeah. right? And things have a purpose. Like the Greek philosophers called it teleology. It's like they, 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 the way a thing is orients it towards a purpose. And so that's one sense of a calling. And then God, of course, is he's the one who made all things. So that's inherent in all things. All things have this purpose and then specifically to to us who are following christ there are other many specific callings that are given in the word and and one of those is go and make disciples right and be perfect as i am perfect which is another whole topic of of much debated uh you know concerning like those things are commandments that are given to all christians it's like well if you're a christian this is your purpose it's your calling and there, and you look in the Bible. There are other like vocal callings, like you were talking about that word study, right? Where it's like, well, it's literally speaking about the words. Like, it, like he appeared before Abraham, and he appeared before the prophets, and he appeared before Jesus, and these things, and and would speak. And it's like, well, we don't have that. God doesn't appear to us and say, like, go be a you know a consultant for McKenzie. It's like, that doesn't happen to people. It's just like, well, how do you get there? Like, what? How does that happen? And I think, like I was saying um, earlier, like that 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 sense of belonging is this discovery of the things that God has given us inside of us that help us orient to our environment in certain ways. And part of that orientation that is built into us is those things that um, that disturb us. Like when you are connected to the heart of God, you start to be disturbed over those things that he's giving you to be disturbed over and to rejoice over those things that he rejoices over. And you, you start to share his heart. A lot of that happens through prayer. Like, I mean, you really have to be in the word and praying and he brings it out of you over years. Like it's, it's such a long process. And he starts to reveal it over you and you reveal in in your experiences as you're going. And, and, and that's when you start to, like that conviction that we were talking about earlier, where does conviction come from? Well, it's a it's a moral reaction to things that are happening in front of you and a, what's morality well it's like this framework it, it's like law in a way and it and it it it's something you internalize in your operating framework and when you have this morality work which is like principles it's like it's like be honest it's like well that's simple and then you go out into the world and then it's not so simple it's like well how honest am I supposed to be am I just am I supposed to tell everyone how I feel about them always am i supposed to tell them how I failed every single little thing, it, you know, and there are some when it's, when it's really clear, it's like, well, I did something wrong. So I definitely shouldn't lie about it. And when you do something and you's crying out, it's like you're not honest and it's your conscience and the conscience is there because you're convinced of this moral principle. And, 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 and that's what has to happen. And the only way you can't listen to your heart to tell you that, right? It has to be well disciplined, Because if, right, in the word, it's like the heart's deceitful beyond, you you couldn't even understand how deceitful your heart is, you know? And so...
0: Oh my gosh, Alex, I have such a hard time with that, honestly. Yeah. Here's my beef, let me just say. I feel that in our faith, the topic of feelings and your heart and whatever, intuition is so criminalized, and that really bothers me. Right. Because... Feel that our, I feel that. Oh my yeah, gosh. Yeah, crazy, um, huh? Our, our intuition is such an incredible gift yeah. and it's an attribute of who we are. Right. It's not even an attribute like theoretical. It's like a, well, not even metaphysical. Help okay, me out. Cool. Like you're the one. Yeah, it's
1: a faculty. It's a human faculty that we are not supposed to shut down.
0: And honestly, with our language, a lot of times intuition, which uh-huh. is a real, given right. design faculty, right. it is translated to the word, I feel that. Yes. And so then just because as a Christian, I'm saying something um, that says, I feel that right. I am meant to do X, Y, Z, uh, then yeah. the general
1: Reaction. Christian
0: consensus yeah. seems to be that because I'm saying I feel, yeah. then that is not something you exactly. should Yeah,
1: Yeah, yeah. it's you from your heart. Your heart is, is difficult.
0: Someone beats me over the head with the, the heart is deceitful yes, verse. Yes, yes. And so I feel, there you <laughs> go. I'm so with myself uh, for well, saying that.
1: And you can say, I get the sense that.
0: Okay. I get the sense that um, I want to be an ambassador right. for being responsible with whatever I term yeah. my feelings are right. or the nut, right. because oftentimes I feel that my feelings are, uh, and I know that my discernment is not uh, it's not divine and it's not Yeah, to you be can't rely out. on
1: it 100% it's but foundation. But at
0: the same time they are nudges of yes, the holy spirit they can and be, those right. are things to respect. So in saying that I want to bring a balance to that conversation as right. well that yes the heart I mean at least the bible says the heart is deceitful. Do you see how I said that right. even I don't accept that? Right. Um, but It's also, we were given an intuition and feelings and emotional intelligence.
1: Oh, yeah. And those that we have
0: a hard time explaining. Yeah.
1: Those seem paradoxical, but they, like you said, like that can't be shut down. You can't operate without it. Not, not, not well. You know, it's one of those, it's like people who say, well, stop using your mind, right? Just, just listen to the spirit. Just listen to the spirit and read the word. Don't, but don't overthink things. It's like, well, your thoughts are part of the faculties that God gave you. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, and your soul. It's like, so then do I not love him with my mind, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Or
0: my heart. (laughs) Yeah,
1: or your heart, like, are you not? And so with that, again, it's like like a conviction and intuition, like, man, there's so much to be said about that, and it's so complex, but yeah, it it doesn't mean that, like, a feeling that you have is wrong. Like, again, like, well, I feel that I want to be a Green Beret. I feel like I'm supposed to be a missionary in Africa. Oh, well, don't trust that because that's deceitful. What I think what God's calling you is that you'll realize you're actually called to this city here in the United States. You're called to not be a green beret. You're actually called to be a mailman. You know, it's like, well, that's not true. You know, that's, that's a misread of, of what those are there for. Um, you know, and the heart is deceitful is more of this idea of using your heart to dictate morality. It's like, your heart shouldn't be telling you what's right and wrong. You should be using your feelings and your senses and your intuition to process your environment in an efficient way. I mean, that's what it's for in our body. You know, oh, yeah. Is
0: solid discernment, right there. That it's not just to repeat. It is not. Your heart should not be the dictator of discerning what morality is. Those ground, that groundwork and that foundation has been laid. Right. It's interpreting your environment and yeah. then the process through which you individually in that one-of-a-kind situation yeah. is to apply the truth of the morality
1: right right yeah and you're using your i mean because in because in intuition is sort of a fast way that your brain is making sense of of information your environment and it, again it's not to say that that's like you should absolutely ignore that it's like sometimes that comes before you can make sense of things and in situations that are unfolding quickly or in situations that are hard to pin down Right, like if you're if you're struggling through a decision, especially an interpersonal decision or or a long-term decision, it's like you can it, your your intellect and your the the facts the facts presented you can only know so much, and then you have to make a decision. Sometimes it happens quick. Sometimes you can have all the time in the world, and you're still not going to have the fact. And this is what we're talking about earlier, right? We want God to give us a calling, and we want our feelings or our intellect or whatever we're relying on to absolve us of responsibility. So, you know, we want, if we're over-reliant on our intellect, right, then, then we'll say, well, we can figure out everything that there is to know here and then we'll make a choice and that's the absolute right choice to make, right? And with God's calling, it's like, well, if God were to just tell me, this is the person I'm supposed to marry, this is the job I'm supposed to have, this is the thing I'm supposed to do here, well, then that just absolves you it, of, of of everything that he gave you to. It absolves you of faith, it absolves you of, of responsibility of discernment of using the tools that he gave you it's just like well you know and and that we want that because it just makes things easier just makes it so that like well we're not responsible and all the bad things happen we'll just point back to god and say well this is your fault
0: oh and that's whenever the platitude would come in i'm exactly where god has exactly where god has
1: been yeah Yeah. wait you you know
0: like debunking of that because i found your commentary on this was very interesting and i hadn't heard this perspective before
1: sure yeah like um yeah god has you right and and yeah that that's there's a lot of different ways that 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 can go of interpreting that but like the idea that reality as it is is exactly what god wants sort of like in this sovereign way I don't think is true. Again, like looking at Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he weeps over it. Like God looks at suffering and he weeps over it. And he looks at like, if, if a woman is to have like a, like a a stillborn child, God's not like, Oh, well great. Here's a lesson for you from the heavens. You know, he like, he weeps for you. He's like, man, this is so broken. This is so broke. And he weeps with people. Right. I mean, that's why like in the church, it's like they rejoice with the people who rejoice and they weep with people who weep. People aren't in their situations because it's all hunky dory, and that was God's like existence is God's plan, and, and that it is broken in certain ways. Is He expected that to happen? But it's not like He's like, "Oh, well, this is perfect." Oh, well, this is great. You know, He's not up there saying that. He's like, man, and, and again, like we were talking about earlier, He none of that's in vain. Like, when you follow God, that's not in vain. Like He uses that suffering to produce godliness in you. in a a crazy redemptive way that only God knows how to do. And so even if you're in a situation, it's not so much like, well, I'm here and these things are happening because that's where God has me. And so I I shouldn't really do anything to change it, right? It's like, that's sort of like a, that's kind of like a Buddhist idea if you really think about it. It's like detachment.
0: Yeah, detachment, disengagement. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It's like, well, that was actually like pre-William Wilberforce where people like looked at the poor. This is crazy, like 18th century, 19th century England. And they're like, oh, well, you know, three, I forget what the number was a crazy percentage of like young people were prostitutes. And they're like, well, you know, they did something to deserve it,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Oh.
1: which is like the caste system. And William Wilberforce, after he was converted to, to through through the Wesleyan Revol- or, uh, revival was like, that's wrong. Like, we need to get rid of slavery first. And then we need to do this thing called the reformation of manners. And he's like, which essentially means like, we need to care about the broken world around us. Like. We have to, like, that's not because they deserved it.
0: Yeah, you can't right. explain away and disassociate. Just to tie it back to the beginning of your story, it, you felt the conviction to not disassociate. Well, rather, right. I don't know if it was so much of a conviction as an impossibility based on who God made, sure. how he crafted you, as well as the factor of being a young mind at the time. Sure, um, yeah. But maybe a better way, a more truthful and comprehensive way to state restate the well god is has me exactly where he wants me statement is to say god uh i don't know if i'll say this right the first time i'd like you to expound upon it but god will is <laughs> providing or holding me uh that's such like an emotional thing to say like holding me in the palm of his hand that's like a hill song yeah well rather but like he's i mean the verse my burden is light wait my yoke is easy and mm. his light still applies yeah. to you in that moment and maybe that's a better more truthful thing to reflect on that you're with under God's provision and father's, right than to just say I absolve myself from taking responsibility in this situation by saying right. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be right now
1: right right and again it's it's man there's a whole lot of paradox involved in being a christian right it's like well the situation god will use for redemption and in a sense the brokenness is a mercy like aging is a mercy right we start to come to the end of our rope inevitably and it turns us or it can turn us to god right everything that weakens us, everything that that exposes us to our to our finiteness is a mercy from god that that he uses to make us rely on him Right? More than we could rely on anything else because we find out that everything else is is, is finite, it, it ends Heaven. everything, right? Yeah, and so and so he uses it because we don't live till we're 80 and then plop because <laughs> then we'd be like immortal, bit we'd feel like we're just young and immortal and everything's great, and then we would die. But God's like, How about this? I'll be merciful to everyone, they'll age slowly from basically age whatever 30, 25, somewhere around there, and they'll basically just burn slowly. Until they die.
0: And they'll realize and the like, humanity and have to come. They'll to
1: realize. Yeah. It's like, hey, like you're going to start losing stuff. How do you contend with that? How do you contend with that? And part of it's like a brokenness of the world thing. And the other part of it is a mercy of God thing where you have, jo- again, and it's not that you're supposed to be in that situation and be like, well, I'll just choose joy be- because I don't know, but God told me and it's a command. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, no, you're not supposed to like choose it because being happy is what God wants for you and being joyful is what God you're choosing it because you know that God is working redemption in the midst of it. And that redemption is a real thing. And that you know that it's all resulting in the redemption that he's calling you to through Jesus. Like, since we're walking in Jesus, all of our death turns to life at some point. All of it, every every drop of it, to a to a degree that we can't even comprehend. Like, when Paul talks about it, he's like, we suffer for a little while, and then it's glory beyond comprehension. Yeah, you know, that's what it's like. And that's what we rejoice over. You you, you you have to look at the reality of things and you realize, yeah, it's tough. This is terrible, whatever it is. And it's not always terrible. But when it does get that way, because it will get that way, then that's when you're like, awesome. God uses all of this. He uses all of this. And you weep. You still weep. Like you're still crushed. And it needs to crush you. You, you can't run from it. You know, like like our culture has forgotten how to grieve, you know that 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 was a big thing. If you read the Old Testament and the and the New Testament, weep with those who weep. Like you're not just supposed to be uh, be so <laughs> caught up in this emotion of joy and happiness and all of that because the, the redemption still is in the brokenness. Yes, it still I'm is not in that.
0: meant to just be, especially coming alongside people and be like, "Hey, perk up!" Exactly. Like, Glory of God, man. It yeah, there's yeah. so much beauty and grace, as you say, in
1: right.
0: the in the hard things because right. it turns us to the eternal hope instead of the temporal. Right. 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 But yeah. Yeah. With all of this, what wisdom would you share with the people listening for how to discern what their calling is and what attitude right. to have about it?
1: Right. Yeah. Again, um, the, the parable of the talents and the, the kind of um, every, you know, what's funny is that every parable where there's a wicked servant, they're given like a farm, and then the master leaves for a while and comes back, and the good servant is still working and the bad servant got drunk and was partying with his friends, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the funny thing about that is like, that's sort of, I think, what God has been teaching me more or less, is it it's this idea that like, what you're called to do is cultivate everything that you have. So if you're like a farmer, right? In the Proverbs, it's like this too. The evil man basically um, is, is oh man, is it in Proverbs? It's it's in the Old Testament where it's talking about the, the evil man, that the, the um, his stone walls are left like tumbled down. There's weeds in his farm. The barn is in disarray, right? Like all of these things that he's responsible for, he's not taken care of. The idea is somewhat stewardship, but that doesn't quite capture it. It's this idea that like, even when those disasters happen, like, and he says, I send rain on the just and the unjust. Like, even if you have a famine, you're still responsible for your farm. You're not just going to say, again, oh, there was a lion on the road. There's that one, uh, that story. It's like, well, the lazy man said that there's a lion on the road. So I'm not going to go out and uh, and do my job today. I'm just going to stay here and sleep. It's like, no, we're supposed to, no matter what is happening, You're supposed to get up in the morning and you go and you work your farm. You cultivate the gifts that God gave you. You take the talents he gave you and you take them to the market and whatever happens happens. You may get You may get awesome results and sometimes you will in life and other times you won't. And it's not that you did something wrong necessarily. I mean, it's always useful to, to examine yourself and and everything, but, but it's inevitable that at some point you're going to be crushed. It's designed that way. Like, that's that's one, and those are some of the most important parts of life. When you're farming your field, and every, and it's like, you know, it, like a great fire comes in, or a famine comes in, or something, and it destroys like things that you've been working on. And at that point, that's where a lot of people are like, "Well, I'm done with yeah, this." Yeah, it's done.
0: Not meant it, to happen. It, it, Not meant to.
1: Yeah, it's futile. It's chasing after the wind, right? And all this, but but, that's that's Jesus saying, like, if I come back. And I come back like a thief in the night. No one knows the hour that I'm coming back. But if I come back and you're and you're not doing your job with what I gave you, you're not stewarding what I gave you. You're you're laying around and partying with your friends. Not that partying is bad. I'm not saying <laughs> that. I'm just saying this. I yeah. You know this idea of laziness. And, and,
0: yeah,
1: you know, and and it's not going to go well for you like every parable where that ends, it's like you get cast out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. weeping and gnashing of teeth. That
0: is like the most descriptive thing. I'm pretty sure that's one of those sayings. I don't know if you have like sayings from your mom that are biblical. Mine was always, don't grumble like the Israelites, you know what (laughs) happened to them. And then for some reason Nimrod came up a lot, I have no idea. Mostly driving like, you know, some somebody's being stupid and she would say "Yeah, nimrod i need to look at that note, actually. <laughs> and then third is i have no idea also where the weeping and gnashing of teeth came in but it sure got seared in my young mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, i'm I yeah. a very fundamental view of my mother but she is not <laughs>
1: <laughs> when she listens to this she should know she is honored and, and cherished
0: uh, yeah i hope so Certainly. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs>
1: But yeah, that's that's what I would say. When you're seeking your calling, God will put things in your life that you're designed to cultivate. So cultivate those things and put the results in God's hands, not your hands.
0: Wow. Yeah. that. Mm, thank you for that reminder. I am so thankful, honestly, for the picture you've painted of what a calling is. Uh, and what it's like to follow it because it speaks to the diversity of experiences and not just diversity, but I would hope that we all can have this comprehensive view as much as possible yes. in our finite minds of uh, yeah. the character of God and how that's expressed through what we're called to. It's not, yes.
1: all there's a commonality like
0: what my natural bent is, and it's not all right. suffering and fruitlessness. Um, yes. It's, yes. It's both and. And like you yeah, said, yeah. the disintegration of what we want in our health and our right. beauty and all these things that, um, kind of prop up our own self-worth and independence, the fading right. away of that is pure grace because it turns to yeah. what is eternal and what is steadfast yeah. hope. Um uh, yeah. And so I'm very, very thankful for the picture you've painted. Like I mentioned, I'm pretty dang sure this has to be a recurring segment in the podcast because anytime <laughs> I have a theological pickle, I need to hash it out with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for having me on. It's awesome having these kinds of conversations and kind of like the, the honest quantities that we have with things that seem to contradict with what we're taught growing you know, so we all have to make sense of it as we're going. So really appreciate that. Uh, wow. Well,
0: thank you and until next time.